turn in your Bibles to the book of Hosea, chapter 3, as we continue our study through the Word. So, you will remember that this book is written to the northern tribes. Remember, there was a division after David came Solomon and, and Solomon's son Rehoboam and Jeroboam and the, and the kingdom was now divided to southern tribes, Benjamin and Judah, and then the ten northern tribes. And, and the ten northern tribes, they, they fell into idolatry. They fell into deep, deep idolatry. And though God had been sending prophets to them and warning them, they had not been taking heed to the warning that had been being given to them. And so in the book of Hosea, the prophet Hosea becomes a, a living typology, a living picture to demonstrate the heart of God and just how much God loves us. Tonight we want to ponder that. We want to consider that. We want to think about the depth of God's love uh, for you and for me, individually, personally. God, His character never changes, amen? It's the same yesterday, today, and, and forever. And so the heart of God that we see here tonight in the book of Hosea is the heart of God towards uh, us tonight. And so as we look and, and examine, may the Holy Spirit do a great work in our own hearts and in our own lives. Hosea was asked of God in order to demonstrate the idolatry, the spiritual infidelity. That's what idolatry is, spiritual infidelity. The people, they had God, and God had his people, and God said, we're in a covenant together. The marriage covenant is the closest thing here upon earth that, that we experience of the, of the oneness that we are going to experience with our God. And so God took this people there, they're his bride. The nation of Israel was his bride. And he said, don't have any other gods before you. When you get married, you say, don't have any other women before you. Don't have any other men now. We are exclusive to each other in a permanent relationship. And, and that was the nation of Israel. Now, I'm your God, you're my people, let's go. And I will exalt you among all the nations. I will protect you, I will defend you, I will bless you. I will be a great husband for you. The nation of Israel started to fall for the God of more, wanting more, more, more than what they had with, with the true and the living God. And, and, and the pagans around them, they were worshiping other gods. And, and the Israelites started to look at the, the, the other gods that were being worshiped and and the blessings, and, and they wanted now the, the blessings of those other gods. And so rather than staying faithful to the true and the living God, they, they started to now keep one foot here, but now they started to worship other gods, which is now spiritual infidelity. 
And so, and so God called to them. He pointed out. He asked them to stop. And, and before they ever came into the land, God said that, you know, that, that if you obey the covenant, if you stay inside of our loving relationship, you will be blessed beyond imagination. If you step out of it, there's going to be consequences to that. And, and ultimately, if you completely rebel, then I'll remove you from the land that I put you in. The time had now come for God to tell them, you have crossed the line now. You are being taken out of the land. But even though there's a consequence for your sin, my love never changes. I'm not ending. I'm not quitting. I'm not stopping. I am continuing to pursue your heart. But even though I am pursuing your heart, your heart is far from me. And so what God does is he takes Hosea, this prophet, and he says, I want you to go and marry this woman that is going to be unfaithful to you, that she is not going to be a virtuous wife. You know the Proverbs 31 woman? She's the photo negative of that. She's, she's the Proverbs 13 woman, you know, the, the inversion of the Proverbs 31 uh, woman. And, and I am going to show you Show the nation how this woman is representative now of the nation of Israel. And so Hosea goes and, and he marries this woman. And, and now we see that this woman has departed from him. And she is back into a life of harlotry and prostitution. And she is chasing after all of these other lovers and and now here in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Go again and love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. And so, having now been separated, she has departed. God says, go pursue her. Go to this woman now, that, uh, this Gomer, this woman that he has married. And, and I want you to pursue her. And, and this demonstrates the pursuing love of God, even when we are running away. Each and every one of us, the Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, he loved us. <laughs> that each and every one of us, he pursued us. And, and even in our unfaithfulness, God demonstrates his faithfulness towards us. And so here is, you know, this man whose wife is unfaithful. And, you know, and we see that, that certainly if anybody had a... Uh, 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 an occasion to renounce their wife, Hosea did, but instead he was instructed by God to love her still. And similarly, God continued to love the nation of Israel. And so we see that most husbands love their wives because they're faithful to them and because they see them as being beautiful. But Israel was unfaithful to God, and yet he loved the nation in spite of their unfaithfulness. 
And, and as God is pouring out his love and as God is chasing after her, she was turning, it says, to the other gods and, and loving the raisin cakes of the pagans. And so the raisin cakes were a, a delicacy that was thought to be employed in the feasts that were associated with the Baal worship. And, and so here, here she is, you know, being unfaithful to her husband, hungering after what, what is outside of the covenant that she is in. And so, reminds me of the way the, the Israelites, after God had brought them out of Egypt and, and all and things got you know, difficult, they're eating manna every day. God's providing for them miraculously, miraculously. Every single day in the middle of the desert, they were able to go out and, and to pick up these flakes that God laid out and be able to cook them and eat them. And it was nourishing them and sustaining them. And so here's this miraculous provision of God. And the Israelites said, what's for dinner? It's like, manna. They're like, oh, man, again, you know, this miraculous provision of God, you know, this is, you know, what was really good. Remember when we were back in Egypt? Remember the leeks? Remember the garlic? Oh, do you remember the smell of roasted garlic over the, uh, the flames when we, oh, my gosh. And they started to, to long for the leeks and the garlics back in Egypt. And it's like, hello, you were a slave eating leeks and garlic, and, and now you're free eating the miraculous provision of God. But you're not content with God's provision. That is the idolatry that had entered into their hearts. When they want more, more, more of everything, more of anything. If a little is good, then more is better. And, and so they were turning into, listen to this, a consumer nation. Can you imagine that? A consumer nation that just starts to consume and consume and consume. And, you know, and they just want more and more and more and more. And, and they begin to chase after, listen, the gratification of more instead of the sufficiency of God. And so when, when you chase after more, here's the question, when, when is more enough? It's never enough. So when are you satisfied? You're never satisfied. So your chase for self-gratification leads you into an ever permanent state of dissatisfaction in your life. And so that dissatisfaction then causes you to try and solve it with chasing more. And so more and more and more, and it becomes this downward spiral. And, and so the culture had started to chase the prosperity, chase the more. It was a mixture now of, uh, of worshiping God and then also worshiping the, the other gods, kind of like insurance, you know, just in case this didn't work, I'm going to cover myself and, you know, and I'm going to worship all of the different places so that, you know, so that I end up receiving more. And 
And what they never recognized was that that's spiritual adultery with God. And that hurts God's heart and it hurts your relationship with God because you now are breaking covenant, you're breaking fellowship, you're breaking communion with God. And so he tells Hosea, though, your wife is continuing to commit adultery. Continual, continual, continual. I want you to go again, pursue her. Pursue her. She's in love with the raisin cakes of the pagans over the blessings of God. And it made me to think, what are the raisin cakes that we chase in our own life? What are the raisin cakes? Sometimes the enemy will start to try and draw you back into the world, back into the, the things that you had once been involved in. And, and he illuminates only, only the part of the sin that, that, that was you know, favorable. The Bible says that sin for a season is pleasurable. That, that, that's the bait on the hook. But then underneath is the hook that just tears you apart. And, and so the enemy will try to bring back to your remembrance the bait, the bait, the bait. Remember the bait? Remember the bait? Remember the bait? The, the raisin cakes. And so here was this unfaithful wife hungering for the raisin cakes of the pagans. And, and Hosea is directed to love her even when that must have been hard. The depth of love. What is love willing to suffer in order to continue to love? And we see God demonstrating the depth of love through Hosea chasing. And notice that it says again, 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 the continual pursuit. So verse 2, I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and one half omers of barley. And I said to her, you shall stay with me many days and you shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. And so too will I be toward you. And and so the circumstances around the, the, the purchase are uncertain. Some believe that she may have become a temple prostitute and was perhaps now the legal property of someone who employed her, or she could have been a concubine that was hired out as a prostitute. And so here we see that there was some type of indenture that she was involved with, and and Hosea comes now, and he purchases her. And many people believe that that one and a half omers of barley is the equivalent of 15 shekels of silver. In other words, 30 pieces of silver. 15 and then 15. 30 pieces of silver. The price of a slave. The price that Jesus was also purchased or betrayed by. And... and Hosea says to her, you shall stay with me many days, and you shall not play the harlot. He informs her that her adulterous lifestyle was over, that she would now remain with him, isolated from all of her potential lovers. 
And, and so also, he says that I will be towards you. You, you now uh, are going to uh, no longer be unfaithful. And uh, I also will continue to remain faithful. And so Gomer here is, the wife is not going to be allowed uh, any relations for many days with, with any lover and also including uh, Hosea. And this is a picture here now of, uh, of God's dealing with the nation of Israel in the present age. Uh, Gomer was going to exist, but she's not going to have the intimacy that a full marriage uh, would have. She's not going to be unfaithful, but she's not going to be at that level of, uh, of full intimacy, of oneness, the covenant of marriage is supposed to be. That is where the nation of Israel is today. The nation of Israel exists, but they are not the theocracy. They are not underneath the, the political rule, and they also are not underneath the, the religious practice of the worship of the temple. And so... so they're not unfaithful, but they're also not fully reestablished in relationship uh, with God the way that they were prior to this extended period. Uh, and so this extended period, this is the period that they are in uh, right now. And so it says in verse 4, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. That's where the nation of Israel is right now. There is no one sitting upon the throne of David. They do not have their sacrificial system. They do not have their priests. They do not have any longer the, uh, the ephod. They don't any longer have the, uh, the worship. And so we see here that uh, that the the loss of uh, of their national sovereignty and the elimination of the sacrifice and uh, and the ceasing of all religious uh, activity and afterward it says so after this long period of time it says the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. Now, remember that this is long past King David. And so when they're seeking after, remember they had, they're the 10 northern tribes that had broken away from underneath the, the united monarchy. And so there was David and then there was Solomon and then the 10 nations split afterwards. So there's going to come a day when they want to come back underneath that, that united headship of the Davidic throne. And so this, of course, is speaking of the millennial reign when Jesus Christ is going to sit upon the throne of David and, and all of the nations now will come and be subjected to him. And they shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. And, and so... We see that this prophecy, its ultimate fulfillment is going to be in the millennial kingdom. Now, as we come to this fourth chapter, we see that it is going to focus upon the, uh, the northern kingdom and on the sins now uh, of the northern kingdom. And it, and it kind of is, the picture is a courtroom. And God 
is going to come in and God wants to file a lawsuit against the, the nation of Israel. He believes that he's been wronged and he wants to file now that the nation of Israel, his bride, has breached the covenant that they had uh, entered into. And so uh, here is the, the picture that Hosea records for us. And it says, hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. And so there's an indictment. There's a lawsuit now against the nation for breach of, uh, of covenant. He says, there is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. There is no truth. No truth. Sound familiar? No such thing as truth. No such thing as moral truth. Everything now is moral relativity. And your personal experience is your truth, and you have your truth, and I have my truth, and there is no truth that is an absolute. And so we are living in a, in a day, an age, where the youth of our nation are being taught that there is absolutely no objective truth. Everything is just subjective experience. There's no truth and there's no mercy. There was no kindness. It was getting harsh. It was getting aggressive. Everybody was getting divisive. The, the, the seams of the nation were starting to, to tear apart. And, and so we see that this is a, a description of the nation of Israel. As, as the presence of God departs from a nation, this is going to be the, the result and so the nation of Israel experienced that as they chase after other gods, as they stopped seeking the blessings of, of, of God, as they, as they stopped being one nation under God. No, that's us. I'm sorry. They, they stopped being, they were one nation under gods. And so, oh, that's us. One nation under whatever God people want to, uh, worship today and, and it is tragic when we hear claims that we are no longer a Christian nation that we are not a, a Christian nation and these statements are being made and, and all when God who we had put on our very money who we had written his name on all of our public buildings so that we would never forget who exalted our nation is now just trying to be pushed to, to the side. In the same way that the nation of Israel took God and just started to, to, to push him to the side. And what was the result now? Hosea tells you what the nation of Israel experienced when they did that. History is a tremendous teacher because the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. The same principles are true yesterday, today. God is the same yesterday, today, and, and forever. So here's a nation that had God in its foundation, was worshiping the true and the living God, and then they started to lose their way. They stopped worshiping God only. They started to become pluralistic. They started to worship all different gods, and, 
And suddenly now we see that what goes out the door, truth goes out the door. There's an abandonment of truth that happens. And then what happens? Once truth is gone, mercy departs as well. I mean, it's every man for himself then. And everybody now is trying to carve out their own existence and everybody is just competing with each other and smashing everybody and everybody's looking to leverage any advantage over anybody else and take advantage in any way, shape, or form that, uh, that they could. It says in verse 2, by swearing, or swearing oaths, lying, killing, and stealing, and committing adultery. The marriage unit was failing. It was falling apart. The family was falling apart in the nation. Adultery, rampant. Marriage vows meant nothing. They had, it says, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Bloodshed upon bloodshed. We see here in, in verse 2, there is the violations of five of the Ten Commandments. Cursing, lying, murder, stealing, adultery. There's five of the Ten Commandments that, that, that they've got right there. Let alone worship the Lord your God and Him only, and, and on we go. The, the Ten Commandments were now just thrown out of the collective consciousness of the nation. And they threw off all restraint now. They had the, the mentality of carpe diem, seize the day. If it feels good, do it. Don't judge me, I won't judge you, and let's just go for it. And everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. Can you imagine the nation doing that? Living that way? It says, therefore, the land will mourn. The land will mourn. With bloodshed upon bloodshed. Innocent blood being spilled in the land. I was at the Women's Resource Medical Center banquet. And they were talking about the innocent bloodshed that's staining our land. 60 million babies since Roe v. Wade have been ended abruptly. When a nation becomes sexualized, when they move sex outside of the confines of marriage, then there is going to need to be a solution to the unwanted fruit of those relationships. And every nation has had its solution to this problem. The nation of Israel at that time was involved in child sacrifice. They were sacrificing their children so that they could have more in their life. 
And so we can see here the, the, the list now. And it says, and therefore the land will mourn. And everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and even the fish of the sea will be taken away. Because of Israel's sin, severe drought would come over the land and the people would, uh, would perish. They would waste away. Now, drought was one of the curses that God told them would happen if they broke the covenant. In Deuteronomy 28, it says, and your heavens, which are over your head, will be bronze. In other words, it's going to be, rather than clouds, it's going to be like a, a, a bronze dome is over the land. And the earth, which is under you, shall be iron. It'll become so baked. And the Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust from the heaven. It shall come down on you until you are destroyed. And so, the early rains and the late rains and, and God promised that he would make their land fertile, that he was bringing them to a land that flowed with milk and honey. He says, but if you are unfaithful to me, I'll dry up the heavens. So you're not going to be in a land that flows with milk and honey. And why does God do that? He does it to turn their hearts back to him. He's not trying to punish them. He's trying to get their attention to change their behavior so that they enter into right relationship with God. That, that God always uses the least amount of force necessary. God made you and God loves you and God is chasing you and God will get as aggressive as he needs to in the chasing of you. And so here we see that he says that if you turn from me, I'll chase you. I'm not going to let you prosper. I'm not going to let, listen, I'm not going to let your life apart from me be more blessed than your life with me. I'm not going to let that happen. And so here we see that, that God tells them in verse 4, Now, let no man contend or rebuke another, for your people are like those who contend with the priest. And therefore you shall stumble in the day and the prophet also shall stumble with you in the night. And so you're fighting with the priests. And so they were supposed to listen to the priests. And the priests were supposed to be teaching them the word of God. But rather than listening and growing and studying in the knowledge of God, they're, they're fighting, they're arguing with the priests. And, and it says, and let no man contend or rebuke another. In other words, you know, the thought is, is that they won't even listen to the priests. So, you know, if they're going to contend, it's going to be a wasted time. Don't waste your time trying to, to rebuke them. They won't even listen to the spiritual authority that, that is over them. And so what will be the consequence if you do not follow the word of God? Well, he says, therefore you shall stumble in the day. See, at nighttime you stumble because you can't see. But God says that my word will be a lamp unto your feet, will be a light unto your path so that, what? So that you don't stumble. He says, but when you depart from the word of God, guess what? You're going to stumble even in daylight. <laughs> no. You're making such bad decisions <laughs> that even when it's light, you're still wanting the darkness. 
You're still wanting your sin, even though you know, you know it's wrong, but you rationalize it, and you're stumbling even in the day. And it says, and, and the prophet also shall stumble with you in the night. And so the picture here is, is, is that even the prophets that God sends are going to be affected by the environment, and they're going to be dragged down. Perhaps the, the prophet thinks that they are you know, immune from judgment, but we see here that, that they're not. The prophet's going to stumble also with you. He says, and I will destroy your mother, and my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So when it says that I will destroy your mother, that sounds really bad. And I was thinking, and Mother's Day is coming up here. This is, Lord, this is a rough verse here, you know. But, but he's not talking about your maternal mother. He's talking about the nation of Israel is the mother of the children. And so his judgment is coming against the nation of Israel. And so that's the context. And my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And so the cause of their problem was a lack of knowledge. Notice this. It wasn't a shortage of information. It was a rejection of the information. Today, we don't have a shortage of information. We've never had more access to more Bible helps and, and online searches and, 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 and commentaries and, and Bible encyclopedias and dictionaries and concordances. And you, studying the Word of God has never been easier to dig past the initial layer than, than it is today. Un unbelievable. You, the, the internet and the information that is available. And yet, while we have all of that information, there, there's a famine for the Word of God in our land today. It's not that we don't have information. It's the rejection of the information that's completely uh, available. And that's exactly what was going on in the nation of, of Israel. It's not that the information wasn't available. It was that they were pushing it aside to chase after what they wanted to chase after. And my people now, they, they are rejecting that information. And, and that information, that's what brings life. The Word of God is what brings life. And so when you reject life, you're, you're embracing death and an inferior existence. God created you to be in connection and in relationship with him. Amen? And life apart from him, when, when your eyes get turned and your focus gets off of the Lord, you are going to go through a dry season. And, and so here we see that ultimately if you continue in that direction, you, you will end up being destroyed. You will perish separated from God. He says, I also will reject you from being priest for me. So the nation of Israel is to be the priest for the whole world. They, they were the testimony. God says, I'll make you my people and then the whole world will be able to come and worship and the nation will be priests that invite the world to come and worship them. But instead, 
they weren't even worshiping God. So how could they now serve that function as the priests of the world to, to let them come to the court of the Gentiles and, and worship God and, and pray there? Because you have forgotten the law of your God. To reject the word of God is to reject God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will abide how long? forever the inerrant authoritative revelation of himself so when you reject the revelation of god you reject god <laughs> and if you forget god he says i also will forget your children those who don't remember god will be forgotten by god you will be eternally separated from god the more they increased, he's talking about priests now, the more they increased, the more they sinned against me. And I will change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on their iniquity. And so it's interesting in verse 7, the more they increased, the more priests there were in the land. You, you would think the more priests, the more positive effect that that would have on the moral climate, the moral environment of the nation of Israel, but it was having the exact opposite effect. The, the more priests that were in the land, he says that the more that sin was increasing in the land. And, and, and so he says, I'll change their glory into shame. And so the honor and the respect of being a priest here, we see that now he is going to take away that, that honor which they received because of their position. He says, they eat up the sin of my people. See, the priests would get a portion of the sacrifice that was brought to God. And so that was their part. And what was happening is, is that the priests were encouraging sacrifices, encouraging sacrifice, encouraging the people to sacrifice to, to God. But it was hypocritical sacrifice because it, they weren't talking about holiness and repentance and about dealing with your sin and turning away from God. They were just talking about bring your sacrifice, bring your sacrifice, bring your sacrifice. And then they were getting more and more and more of the portion of those sacrifices. And they eat up the sin of my people. They're getting a commission. <laughs> Because they're telling the people, just, just keep offering sacrifices, God will forgive you. And now they're profiting on it. They set their heart on their, their iniquity. The priests started to fall in love with more. They want more. They're discontent with your life. You see, your contentment is in Christ. Your contentment is in what God is providing for you. And, and the purpose that you're alive is to learn how to love, to love God and to love others, and, and not to collect the most amount of experiences and things and, and, and the God of more. And so they set their heart on iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. And so I will punish them for their ways 
and reward them for their deeds. And so God is going to punish the priests the same way that he does the people when they sin. But also know this, he blesses the priests as he also blesses the people when they obey. I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. And so we see that God invites us into a blessed life. You are being invited tonight by God into a blessed life. If you obey God, you are going to be blessed. He gives you free will, and then he tells you the path to blessings, and he tells you the wrong way (laughs) that you are not going to be blessed, invites you, and then gives you free will to choose. And so each and every one of us tonight, I want you to know you're as close to God tonight as you want to be. You're as close to God as you want to be. He's as important in your life as you make him. And God says that if you seek me, you will find me. He says, if you draw close to me, I will draw close to you. So he is ever ready to respond to to you. He says, I love you, I made you, I formed you. I I, want to be as intimately connected in your life as you will have me. And so each and every one of us, myself included, we're as close to God tonight. He's as important in our life as we choose. And then we're going to experience the blessing in our life of either living close to God or living distanced from God. And each and every one of us gets to experience that. And so heaven is glorious because it is living now in his very presence, unbroken for eternity, without sin separating us and without us ever turning away in infidelity to God. How blessed that union is going to be in heaven. For they shall eat, he says, verse 10, but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry, but not increase, because they've ceased obeying the Lord. And so that God of more is never satisfied. You're never satisfied. And so they're going to compromise their relationship with God in order to get more. You see, that was the very sin of Adam and Eve, wasn't it? The God of more. When Satan came and said, you know, if you, if you come over and have this is more. This is more than what you've got now. And God didn't want you to have more. <laughs> but if you'll just listen to me and come, you'll have more than what God gave you. And they wanted more than what God had set for boundaries of the relationship with me. You get all of me, God said. But that wasn't enough. And they've succumbed to that. And Satan continues to use that same temptation to everybody. And so they're going to eat, but it's not going to satisfy them. They're still going to be hungry. Jesus tells the woman at the well, if you drink from this well, you will what? You'll thirst again. It's going to satisfy you for a little while, and then that thirst is going to come back. The flesh is satisfied for a moment. And then it hungers again. And, and so when you're chasing other gods, you're, <laughs> you're going to eat, but you're not going to have enough. 
you're going to commit harlotry, but not increase. You know, Baal and Ashtaroth, they, they were promoting fertility, and, uh, but the children are not going to increase. Children are a blessing from God. They're a gift from God. And so God's not going to honor that. God's not going to bless that. And he says, because they've ceased obeying the Lord. Ceased obeying the Lord. Harlotry, wine, and new wine enslave the heart. We see sensual pleasures now had just engulfed them, leaving them without understanding, and they were enslaved now. Verse 12, my people ask counsel from their wooden idols and their staff informs them for the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray and they have played the harlot against their God. So instead of consulting God who made the trees and the forest, they're, they're consulting wooden idols that they had fashioned and their staff informs them divination, seeking answers from a divining rod, from a stick of wood. They offer sacrifices on the mountaintops and burn incense on the hills under oaks, poplars, and terebinths because their shade is good. And therefore, your daughters commit harlotry and your brides commit adultery. And so they're making sacrifices to false gods. They're engaging in cult prostitution. And in these shrines, they would put them underneath big trees where it was cool. It was in the shade. This is out in nature. They were worshiping nature and, and the false gods. And, and I will not punish your daughters when they commit harlotry. See, spiritual harlotry is going to lead to physical harlotry. When you stop constraining the flesh and the appetites of the flesh by the law of God in your life, and you break that open, then ultimately it is going to cross into the physical realm as well. And so the bonds of marriage will fall, the bonds of authority, of truth, of mercy, they'll all start to, to fall away. And so it begins in the spiritual, but it will manifest itself in the physical. And so the verse 14, I will not punish your daughters when they commit harlotry, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go apart with harlots and offer sacrifices with a ritual harlot. And so the, the women here, God tells Hosea that the women are not going to be singled out for, for punishment because the men are doing the exact same thing. Therefore, people who do not understand will be trampled. We see when... You don't grasp and apply the most basic principles in, in life and in relationship with God. Then that will be the consequence. The people without understanding will come to ruin. 
And though you, Israel, play the harlot, let not Judah offend. So now Hosea is talking to the ten northern tribes, and now he's talking also to the two, to Judah. And he's telling Judah, learn from Israel. Let not Judah offend. Do not come up to Gilgal, nor go up to beth nor swear an oath, saying, as the Lord lives. And so uh, we see here these, these are Israel's guilt. For Israel is stubborn like a stubborn calf. And now the Lord will let them forage like a lamb in open country. And Ephraim is joined to idols. Ephraim is a large tribe that's in the north, but it also was, uh, was a, a nickname for, for the ten northern tribes is oftentimes referred to as Ephraim. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let them alone. Their drink is rebellion. They commit harlotry continually. Her rulers dearly love dishonor. The wind has wrapped her up in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. And so we see here that, uh, that the wind has enveloped her in her wings is, is an expression that means that she's going to soon be swept away. And so... So compromise, drift, the God of more. These were the challenges of the nation that had a moral history, but were sliding away from it. Challenging compromise, the drift, the culture, the increase and the pressure of the culture to compromise. And materialism, materialism, materialism. But we see that Hosea here is is called to love this unfaithful, unlovable wife because it demonstrates how much God loves us, how much God loves you. And, And tonight, no matter where your heart is towards God, know this, God loves you. And tonight is a night that you can return right back into his arms. If the nation of Israel was just repented, would have just turned away and come back and said, I'm sorry, God, I love you. God would have restored them and taken them, uh, them back. And, and so that message of, of God's faithful love, that, that is the message of communion. And I want to move into communion right now and invite the ushers to come and to pass out the elements because, because that's exactly what Jesus wanted us to focus on is, is that you are being pursued by, by God and God loves you with such an overwhelming love that we can't even begin to understand it, that God loves us in spite of our sin and not because of anything that we do. We don't earn his love. His love is given. His love is agape love. It is the greatest love ever shown. And and, and so we see that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This, this is the love of God. And this is the love that is available personally, intimately to each and every one of us through the new covenant. We now can experience this incredible love.
the communion table is the place where Jesus instituted the, the remembrance of, of God's demonstration of his great love. Because it was there on the cross that, that Jesus loved us to the end, to the end of his life with all of his life. And communion is that time to, to ask yourself and to ask God this question, am I drifting or am I chasing? Are you drifting away from God? Or are you chasing after God? Communion is a time to ask yourself a question, am I closer to God today than I've ever been before? And if not, when, when were you the closest to God ever? When was the time when he was just your number one focus? And he's waiting to return to that place with you. Tonight is a night of return. Tonight is a night of thank you. Tonight is a night of pursuing. Tonight is a night of remembering how much you're loved. How much Christ has done for you. How faithful the Lord has been in your life. How rich your life is with Christ in it. It's a night of of saying thank you. It's a night of pausing and just listen carefully of saying I am content in you. I am content because a Christian is someone that even if they have absolutely nothing they still have absolutely everything. Take everything away from you and you still have Christ and you still have everything. And when your heart wants more of anything, understand that, that the cry of your heart isn't for things. The more that you want is more Jesus. It's more Jesus. And the enemy tries to tell you that it's more of other things. And Christ says, it's right here. It's at the cross. Come and remember. Come and receive. Come and believe. For the fullness of your life has already been given to you. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed and broke it. He gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Let's partake of the body of Christ.
And then he took the cup and gave thanks. And he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's look forward to that glorious moment and partake of the cup. And so what a, a glorious night of just coming to the communion table and, and just seeing in these chapters just how much God loves us and how much God is desiring to, to chase after each and every one of us and to, and to draw us ever closer into his presence. He forgives us for every single shortcoming, every single sin, every single failure. Is, it's left at the cross. We are free. We are washed. We are loved. We are headed to heaven. He has sent us the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and he, he doesn't say, crawl your way to heaven on your own. He says, I'll fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit that will help you every single step of the way. And so tonight we are going to move into an afterglow, which is just a time of seeking more of that dependence of the Holy Spirit, wanting to experience more of that intimacy and fellowship and, and communion, a, a ref fueling, a refilling, a refiring us back up again to shine for Jesus in this culture. I want you to know that regardless of, of, of what our culture looks like, just remember this. God chose you to live in this culture at this time to be his testimony to this world that is around. You're not here by accident. You were chosen. He looked at all of the people and he said, who can I have that will stand strong in this generation? And guess what? You were selected by him to come and stand strong. So let's stand strong for Jesus. Let's burn bright. Let's live our lives and let's love uh, our Lord. And so uh, let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, we can't say, <laughs> we can't say it enough. Words just fall short of the thank yous. But God, we love you. Help us now. Strengthen us, Lord, to accomplish your will. Not my will, but your will be done in each and every one of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen, amen and Amen.